morning. A couple weeks ago, my dad came over to my house and Heather and I's house, and uh, he brought my toys from when I was a little kid. They were going through their attic and they were finding all these toys, and I, I was excited to go through them. And so he brought like I don't know if many of you remember these, but they're called micro machines. And they're like little miniature figurines, and there was a farm and a ranch. And so for all of you that think I'm not a farmer, I had a farm growing up. It was a little bitty one, but it still worked. Um, so I went through that. I had like an electric train, and I had a, those uh, electric race car tracks that you pull the trigger, and you're <laughs> shoots around really fast. And then I had a couple boxes there at the end that I opened, and it was just like a blast from the past of memory lane. Because I've mentioned this before, I was a San Antonio Spurs fan. And when I opened those four boxes, I realized just how bad of a San Antonio Spurs fan I really was. Because it was like, open up the first box, and I had four empties Wheaties boxes with San Antonio Spurs players on the front, just so that I could have their picture. And I went through and I had a homemade booklet of their stats and photos, and I mean, it is kind of embarrassing to talk about right now of just how far I was. And then I opened this one box, and it was from 2003 because it was David Robinson's last year in the NBA, and it was a those paper boxes, rectangular paper boxes filled to the brim of VHS cassettes where I recorded every single game that he played in that year, and I kept it. And I was like, I can't even watch these anymore. They won't fit in my DVD player. And, uh, but it was just like, I tell you, I loved David Robinson. I loved David Robinson so much that I modeled my shot after him. Um, I chose my basketball number based on his number. I mean, I knew stats about him. I emulated him. I tried uh, like forming my style around him. Because the thing is, is that when you look up to somebody, you start to kind of behave like them. And you start to kind of model your life after the people that you look up to. And, and that's kind of how we're supposed to be, especially as Christians. That when people look at our lives, they should say, I want to model that. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so that should be our message to the world, that when you want to know what it looks like to be a Christian, look at me. Imitate my life. Because what I'm doing is I'm just trying to imitate Christ in everything that I do. We should have that be our heart's desire. And that, that brings us to our question today as we are wrapping up our series on asking for a friend. And I'll tell you, I've been a parent for a whopping two and a half months, and I get to preach on... How do you get to be a godly parent? And you should take my advice because my kid is perfect. I mean, my goodness, he is perfect. I love that kid so much. But we're not going to care about what I have to say. What we're going to do is we're going to look at what God's word has to say. And that's what qualifies me more than anything. Not that I've been a parent for two and a half months, but because God's word tells us this is how you are a godly parent. And the, and the question might be in your head, okay, my kids are raised and they're gone and they're out of the house. I still believe this applies to you because we have grandparents in the room. We have aunts. We have uncles. We have teachers. We have 
People who you are being looked up to, whether you believe it or not. You are mentors to somebody. You are an impact. You have people. Paul was able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And there is somebody in your life that is looking up to you. And they're trying to see what does the thing of living for God look like? How do I be a godly parent or influence or mentor? And so we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to cover the first nine verses this morning. And then we're going to end with five kind of practical steps on how to be a godly influence in people's lives. And so if you'll join me, we're going to open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll see what God's word has to say. So, Father God, I just come before you. And God, as I'm able to just say that right there, Father, you are the good Father. And so as we look to you for guidance and for direction on how to just live our lives for you so that when people look at us, they see you in us. God, we need you to do that. So I just pray that as we see what your word has to say now, God, may, may we just apply it to our lives and may it stir that fire inside of us to live for you no matter what. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So the book of Deuteronomy, if you're not familiar with it, it is the last book of what they call the Pentateuch, the five first books of the Bible. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is really summed up as three sermons that Moses is giving to the Israelites as they're about to enter into the promised land. And so a lot of it is Moses recapping everything that's happened up until this point. Remember your fathers. Remember how they wandered through the wilderness. Remember how they rebelled against God. And then in chapter 5, he says, remember the law that God gave you. Which is, as we see, the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God. Honor Him. Honor your father and mother. Res uh, uh, re respect the Sabbath. Uh, don't steal. Don't kill. Don't lie, don't covet, don't bear false witness. You have the Ten Commandments. And then we get to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Moses has just told them, remember the law that God gave you. And then actually right before this in chapter 5, he tells them, be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. He says, you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. So he's saying, you're about to enter this promised land. Remember what God has told you, and be careful to live your life according to it. Don't get distracted by turning to the right or to the left. Focus on God, live for Him, and be careful to do what He has commanded you. And then he goes on to chapter 6, where he says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. 
And so Moses has just said, remember the Ten Commandments. And then notice what he says here, though. Now this is the command. He boils it down to one. He says there's the commandments that God gave you, but this is the one that encompasses them all. And he says that in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here's the command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus, he tells us this is the greatest commandment. When he's asked by a lawyer, oh, good teacher, what is the greatest commandment? He responds with this. You know what it said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your might. And he says this is the great and the first commandment. And then he goes on to say, and the second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says all of the law and the prophets are summed up in these two commands. And so we have this command to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. What's that got to do with being a godly parent, though? Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 6, where Moses says, This is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Now start paying attention to these action words. Moses is saying, this is how you live your life. He says that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you, your sons, and your son's sons. How do you fear the Lord your God? By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Then he says, hear Therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. You see, Moses is telling the Israelites who are about to enter the promised land, he's saying the most important thing you can do is love God with everything that you have, with everything that you are, love him. And he says, now act out of that. He says, obey the commands of God. Fear the Lord your God. Hear what God is saying and then live it out. He's saying, if you want to be a godly parent, first off, you have to be a godly person. You have to be taking what God is telling you and applying it through your life. G. Mott, he says this phrase, and you've probably heard it before. He says, you can't lead anyone else further than you have gone yourself. You cannot lead anybody somewhere that you're not already walking in. You can't teach somebody something you don't know. And you cannot tell somebody how to be a godly person if you yourself are not being a godly person. And I know that, you know, parents love to say this statement. Do as I say, not as I do. Listen to what I say, just don't look at my life. And for the Christian, that is a complete oxymoron. That we should be saying, you know what, look at how I live, because it is going to back up the life that I live. Nor it's going to back up the things that I say. When I say something, you can expect I'm going to do it, because we are people of integrity. We are doing the will of God, the commands of God. We are loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. We are living for Him above everything else. 
And Moses says, he says, listen. He says, hear what God says. And this is the thing that back in that day, they would go to hear the word of God proclaimed, which we're doing right now. But we can't just think, yeah, I go to church one hour a week, and that's going to make me be a godly parent. Instead, we have God's word written out for us. And so this is me thinking if Moses were talking to us today where we have the Gutenberg press and we're able to have the Bible on our cell phones, Moses would say, hear and read and meditate on what God says and be careful to do it. Don't just take your verse of the day and call it good but actually dive in to God's word. Desire it more than your breath. Be like, God, you know what? In order for me to be a godly parent, I need to be a godly person. And in order for me to be a godly person, I need more and more of you. So God, give me more of you. The first step to being a godly parent is to fear God by obeying his commandments and studying them yourself, you doing the dirty work, you doing the time to be in God's word and apply it to your life. You see, in order to be a godly person, a godly parent, you have to lead by example. Because more than what they will hear what you're saying, they're going to see what you're doing. They're going to see how you live your life and they are going to see Mom and dad, my mentor, this person that I look up to, they don't really believe what they're saying. I heard this stat yesterday, and this is from 2012, so I don't even know what the number is today. But they said in 2012, 40% of high schoolers leave the church upon graduation. Now, now what we might want to do is be like, yeah, they got influenced by the college realm and, you know, the secular world. Notice It said they leave the church after graduation, before they even go to college. They, 40%, are like, you know what? Somewhere there was a disconnect. Somewhere, and I'm not saying that if you do these, it's guaranteeing something, but I'll tell you, if you live for God and love Him, Proverbs tells us, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's not necessarily a guarantee, but your odds are way better if you live according to God. That if you not only train them, but you live it out, that you are the example. Notice what Moses says in verse 5, where he gives, this is the greatest command. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Notice, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and with all your possessions and with all your time and all your money and all everything that you are. You are to love God more than anything, more than your spouse, more than your kids, more than your free time, more than your freedom. Love God with everything that you are and then be an example for this. Your actions are going to prove what you think is most important. Your actions, not just Sunday morning, but your actions Sunday afternoon to Saturday night are going to show what you think is most important. Lead by example. Live a life for God. So the first way that you be a godly parent is to be a godly person. Seeking after God in everything you do. 
God of a parent, God of a mentor, whatever it is. And then it's not just about actions, though. There are teachings that you give to those who look up to you. Deuteronomy verse chapter 6, verse 7, Moses goes on, and he says, You shall teach them the law of God diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses, he says, first off, you, you live for God and then you teach your kids the laws of God to fear God by obeying his commands. You see, Look at the course of society today. Look at the direction that it's going. And parents are starting to take a hands-off approach to raising their own kids. You know what? I'll let my, my teachers, my kids' teachers, I'll let them teach them. I'll let the ter- church train them. I'll let the coaches influence them. I'll let their friends raise them. It's like, hey, you know what? It's a little difficult, so I'm going to take my hands off, and I'm going to let other people raise my children. It is my deep, deep belief that your child's primary response or primary teacher is his parent, her parent, whoever is their guardian. That is who God has entrusted. Everybody else is a supplement, and praise God for godly supplements. But they cannot take the place of a parent, of that person that is investing in their child's lives. And more than teaching them anything, the most important thing you can teach them is God's commandments, God's love, who God is, to live for Him. It's like so often we get caught up in, oh, their grades need to be really good. And so you know what? We're going to sacrifice in God's word time so that they can excel in school, so that they can be at a really prestigious college, or so that they can give all their efforts to sports, so that someday, maybe, this minute chance, they'll go on to play collegiately. And it's like, you know what? We're giving up the important things. Moses says, teach them to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. He says, teach them as you're walking by the way, as you're sitting, as you're standing. He says, this is what you should constantly be talking about to your kids. Yeah, those other things are fine, but they should not replace who God is and living for Him. So once you are living a godly life. Once you are pursuing after God, you start teaching your children how to do it also, not leaving it up to someone else. Because we saw that in verse 7. Notice the times that he says we should do this. I kind of mentioned it earlier. He says, teach them diligently, like consistently, daily. Teach it to them. And talk of them when you're sitting in your houses, when you're walking by the way. When you're lying down, when you rise, pretty much when should I be teaching them it? All the time, except when they're sleeping. And then maybe play it in the background so it subliminally goes in their head and they got it figured out. In other words, always. You are always to be teaching your children about God, but leading by example. He says, love the Lord your God with everything that you are, 
and diligently teach your children to do the same. But here's the thing. What maybe, what does that look like? I said we got five practical steps on how you can live as a godly parent, mentor, influence. So the five ways that you do this. Number one, be present. Be present in their lives. Don't expect somebody else and send them off. Be the influence. Be there. Be present. I read a stat. This was talking about fathers. It said the average time that a father spends with their child is seven minutes a day. I was blown away. Seven minutes a day, the average father will invest in their child. It's like, oh my goodness. Ever since we got the Industrial Revolution, the parent has started going out of the home, sending the kids away to be taught by the world. And then when you come home, the parent is exhausted, and I'm going to put a screen in front of the child so that I don't have to do anything. The best way to be a godly influence is to be present. These aren't really in any specific order, but they do kind of build on each other. Because here's the thing, at the end of the day, you can be like, well, you know what? I work 80 hours a week because I wanted to give my kid the best stuff. And at the end of their life, they're going to be like, the stuff didn't really matter. What I wanted was time. And my parents were not present. So the first way to be a godly influence is to be present. The second way is you can be present and be a terrible influence. So the second is to be a role model. The life you want to see your kids or those you are influencing, the life you want to see them live, live it yourself. Don't say, do as I say, not as I do. But say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. The change you want to see in your family history, it's like, well, you know what? There's just the sins of the father and they keep on coming down and we're doomed to be this way. Only if you allow yourselves to be the victim. The change can start with you by seeking after God with everything you are and letting him break the chains of bondage on your family by being that role model of seeking after God. You see, here's the thing. There's, there's this new term today, and it's called a social media influencer. And there are people that kids are looking at on social media, and it is jacked up. It is, like, ridiculous, the things that they call influencers. Again, the biggest influence on your child's life should be you. Everybody else is supplemental. You are the role model. And you can have other people come in and be role models. I had people outside of my parents that helped mold me into the man that I am today. But it was on my parents, ultimately. And so you be the role model. So you be present, you be a role model. The way that you be a role model is not by being perfect, but be authentic. One of the reasons they gave for 40% of people leaving the church and one of the reasons they gave for like preacher's kids leaving the church is because there's this expectation of you better be perfect. And we're not going to accept anything less than perfect. And we're going to just bash you down when you're not perfect. Be authentic. Show what it means to lean into the grace of God, the forgiveness that God gives. Show that you're not perfect. 
that you let things slip, that, that you lose your anger, and that it's not okay, but that you grow from it. Be authentic. Usually we don't want to let our kids see our failures. Usually we don't want to talk about our past and our downfalls. Use those as training tools. I mean, that's really why we have the Bible. Not really why. That's not the only reason why. But you look at the Old Testament. Man, it is a story after story after story of people's failures. But of God giving them grace. And God continuing to work through them and have a plan for them. So we get to learn, hopefully, from their mistakes. Imagine if God was like, you know what? The Israelites, they were really bad people. I don't need the world to know about their mistakes. Our Bible would be almost empty. But instead, God shared their downfalls so that we could see who God is, the love that God has for us, and we could grow from it and have a desire to know God more because He is a God of grace. We be authentic. The fourth one, you have this yearning to grow. That's a really weird word, yearning. It'll make sense in a minute. But you have this desire to grow in God. That you just like, man, I've never learned enough. I haven't, uh, yeah, I did the Bible in a year plan. Got it good. No, I want to read it again, and I want to know more, and I want to know that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I have this desire because I want my kid to live wholeheartedly for God, and I'm not going to be able to take them any further than I have not myself gone. So I yearn to grow. So you are present, you are a role model, you are authentic, and you yearn to grow. The fifth step, those spell the acronym, pray every single day. You are hitting your knees in prayer for yourself as you lead somebody but also for them, because this world is trying to pull influences, pull them away. And I'm not even talking about kids. We're talking about the spiritually less mature that you might be discipling. The world is trying to pull people away from God. There is a war that you woke up in this morning, that there is a battle, and we are fighting, and we are fighting for their souls. And the main way that we get to pray in that is through prayer. We get on our knees daily and we pray for the souls of those that we are impacting. We pray for the purity of their lives. We pray for their salvation. We pray for their futures, for their spouses, for the call that God has on their life. We continually hit our knees and pray, never ceasing. And there's, there's probably more that you could come up with. I mean, look at Proverbs, and it says, do not spare the rod, because if you spare the rod, spoil the child. So I hated this rule. Discipline's a good thing. So be consistent in your discipline. There's more things there, but it starts with being present, being a role model, being authentic, yearning to grow in your walk with God, and through it all, you are praying for wisdom and guidance. And again, this applies to every single person in this room. Even if you don't have children, this is the call on your life because Paul never got married. Paul didn't have children, but yet he said, imitate me. 
as I imitate Christ. And people are looking to you because you are the church. You are, as Jesus says, the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so he says, therefore, let your light shine before all men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father who is in heaven. So live for Christ in everything that you do. Because here's the thing, even if you're not the parent and you are the supplement person, there is going to come a time when your voice will ring louder than their parents. There is going to come a time where what you say is going to sink in and their parents going to be like, I tried bashing and bashing and bashing that into their head and it never stuck. It takes somebody outside. Because there's going to come a day when my little Isaiah is going to be old and he's going to be like, man, I really don't want to talk to dad about that. And I am already praying that God brings men into his life that he will be able to go to and open. I hope it's me, but I hope that there are men in his life that he opens his heart up to and that they say, this is who Jesus is. I'm going to point you to Jesus. There is forgiveness. There is grace. There is love and mercy at the cross. Go to the cross. We get to be those people. You are those people to a hurting and broken world that is looking to you for guidance. Seek after God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your will, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then teach it diligently. When you're walking, when you're sitting, when you're standing, when you're rising, and when you're laying down. Have those words on your mouth constantly. Be the light, because Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Go and let your light shine brightly. Father God, thank you that through all of this, we have the perfect example in Jesus. That he lived the life so we can see how to live it. And that God, when we fall short terribly like we will, he lived it perfectly to be the propitiation for our sins so that we can walk in grace. And so God, I I just want to specifically right now pray for the parents in this room who have such a burden of raising up children in a world where it is dark. And God, I pray that you give them guidance and wisdom and discernment. Give them a heart for you to seek after you in everything that they do. And then God, we pray for the youth We pray for those who are being brought up in this world. God, keep them pure. God, just work in their hearts to be leaders where they're at because they themselves are being looked up to by somebody. And so God, work in their hearts. Just, God, help us have this love for you with all our heart, with all our strength, and with all our soul. And then God, may we do the second command, love our neighbor as ourselves. Work in us, guide us, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen.